Hey everybody, it is, let's see what time it is. Oh, my computer is being real slow tonight. Monday, May 18th, 8.42 p.m. I'm hopping on a little late tonight. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about chapter six today. We're going to talk about chapter six, part one. Um, so like other chapters, chapter six kind of comes in a couple of different sections. And we're going to talk about the first two sections on tonight's episode. Um, so for homework, you guys have to just kind of answer a very traditional list of like English teacher novel questions. And the there's a lot of detail in chapter six. And I want to make sure that you're getting all that detail. So I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning. And then we're going to get into kind of the meat of chapter six. So at the beginning of chapter six, six it says, about this time, an ambitious young reporter from New York arrived one morning at Gatsby's door and asked him if he had anything to say. Anything to say about what? inquired Gatsby politely. Why, any statement to give out. It transpired after a confused five minutes that the man had heard Gatsby's name around his office in a connection which he either wouldn't reveal or didn't fully understand. This was his day off, and with laudable initiative, he had hurried out to see. Okay, so it should be noted that a reporter like kind of heard Gatsby's name being thrown around in connection with something. And we don't get to know what that is. Again, more secrecy. But then it says, it was a random shot, and yet the reporter's instinct was right. Gatsby's notoriety, spread about by the hundreds who had accepted his hospita hospitality, had and so become authorities upon his past, had increased all summer until he fell just short of being news. That was a long way of saying, all these people are coming to his house, and everybody's been gossiping about him so much, all of that gossip has fallen just short of being news. Contemporary legends, such as the, quote, underground pipeline to Canada, end quote, attached themselves to him, and there was one persistent story that he didn't live in a house at all, but on a boat that looked like a house that was moved secretly up and down the Long Island shore. Just why these inventions were the source of satisfaction to James Gatz of North Dakota, it isn't easy to say. What? Okay, audience, listeners, let's pause. What name, what name did Fitzgerald just say? Because he just said a name that we have not heard the entire book. And that name is James Gatz. Okay, now I want to let you guys know, because it isn't super clear, I don't think, if you're the reader, everything you're about to hear in the book, I'm on in the paperback book on page 104, this is from Nick, and this is all true, okay? So this is the backstory on Gatsby that Nick gets. Now, we don't have the scene for when Gatsby like tells him the actual truth, but we'll get to that later, okay? But the following things, the following details that we're about to go through are not rumor or hearsay. They are the actual truth. Okay, here we go. I'm going to give you the highlights. James Gatz, that was really, or at least, that was really, or at least his, legally his name. He had changed it at the age of 17 at the specific moment that had witnessed the beginning of his career. When he saw Dan Cody's yacht drop anchor over the most insidious flat on Lake Superior. It was James Gatz who had been loafing along the beach that afternoon in a torn green jersey and a pair of canvas pants, but it was already Jay Gatsby who borrowed a rowboat, pulled out to the Tula May, and informed Cody that the wind might catch him and break him up in half an hour. 
So if you're reading along with me in the book, the Tulumi, I don't really know how to say it. It's in italics. That's the name of Dan Cody's yacht. So remember Dan Cody, there was a photograph of him in Gatsby's house. And we briefly saw that photograph. Um, Dan Cody is going to act as this mentor figure to Gatsby in a way. Um, and we'll get there. Okay. So Nick continues, I suppose he'd had the name ready for a long time. Even then his parents were shiftless and and unsuccessful farm people. His imagination had never really accepted them as his parents at all. The truth was that Jay Gatsby of West Egg, Long Island sprang from his platonic conception of himself. He was a son of God, a phrase which, if it means anything, means just that. He must be about his father's business, the vast, the service of the vast vulgar meretricious beauty. So he invented just the sort of Jay Gatsby that a 17-year-old boy would be likely to invent. And to this conception, he was faithful to the end. Okay, let's pause. So James Gatsis is given name. That's the name that he's born with. And he's born to poor farm people in the Midwest. But he feels extremely out of place growing up. And he always feels like he was destined for more. So he makes up this name and this like new identity in his teenage years when he's trying to figure out how to get out of this place. And the name that he makes up for himself is Jay Gatsby, which sounds so much more majestic than James Gatz. Okay. So um, then it goes on to say that in his teenage years, he had been working along the shores of Lake, of Lake Superior, and he was very attractive, and women liked him early in his life, but he was always dissatisfied. There's a quote on page 105 that says, his heart was in constant turbulent riot. Um, and so he tries a bunch of things, and he tries to get out of where he is, but nothing really works. Okay. I'm going to pick up on page 105. It says an instinct toward his future glory had led him some months before to the small Lutheran college of St. Olaf in Southern Minnesota. Okay. So he tries to go to college. He stayed there two weeks dismayed at its ferocious indifference to the drums of his destiny to destiny itself and despising the janitor's work with which he was to pay his way through. Okay, so he goes to college, he spends two weeks there, but it doesn't work out. People don't really believe that he's destined for greatness, and he has to do janitor's work to pay his way through. So then he drifts back to Lake Superior, and he's kind of searching for something, and then Dan Cody shows up. So he goes out to Dan Cody, and it says Cody was 50 years old then, a product of the Nevada silver fields of the Yukon, of every rush for metal since 75. Okay, so... Dan Cody is an independently wealthy guy who has made his millions on the gold rush. Um, It says, then it goes on to tell us that Dan Cody was in a relationship with this woman, Ella Kay, who worked for a newspaper. Um, And he had been coasting along, this is on page 106 now, he had been coasting along all too hospitable shores for five years when he had turned up as as James Gatz's destiny in Little Girl Bay. Okay. So when Dan Cody shows up on a yacht and he like needs some help, when Jay Gatsby rows his little robot out there, when he get, when he gets on the yacht, he says, Hey, my name's Jay Gatsby. Okay. To young Gats resting his oars and looking up at the rail deck, the yacht represented all the beauty and glamor in the world. I suppose he smiled at Cody. He had probably discovered that people liked him when he smiled. At any rate, Cody asked him a few questions. One of them elicited the brand new name 
and found that he was quick and extravagantly ambitious. A few days later, he took him to Duluth and bought him a blue coat, six pairs of white duck trousers, and a yachting cap. And when the Tulemi left for the West Indies and the Barbary Coast, Gatsby left too. Okay, so Cody then um, realizes that Gatsby is very ambitious and he can help out on the boat and he buys him a bunch of new clothes and off they go. Remember, Gatsby is born to poor people, but he hates, I don't want to say hates, but he's got to get out, right? And he can't figure out a way out until Dan Cody shows up. And then he doesn't even tell Dan Cody his real name, but he begins to reinvent himself. Okay. Um, so it says that he's kind of employed as an input in Cody's, Cody's, Dan Cody's personal capacity. Um, he's the steward, he's the mate, he's the skipper. Um, he's even the jailer for Dan Cody sober knew what lavish doings Dan Cody drunk might soon be about. And he provided for such contingencies by reposing more and more trust in Gatsby. So he puts all of his trust in Gatsby. It says the arrangement lasted five years during which the boat went three times around the continent It might've lasted indefinitely, except for the fact that Ella Kay came aboard one night in Boston. And a week later, Dan Cody inhospitably died. So this woman that had a relationship with Cody, they think, killed him. Um, okay. Then it says that, um, he learns all sorts of stuff about life and wealth by basically being tutored by Cody for five years. Um, it, it, we go on to learn that it was indirectly due to Cody that Gatsby drank so little. Um, it says sometimes in the course of gay parties, women used to rub champagne into his hair for he, for himself, he formed the habit of letting liquor alone. So he saw that when Cody would drink and become very irresponsible, bad things would happen. And so Gatsby never drank. It says, and it was, it was from Cody that he inherited money, a legacy of $25,000. He didn't get it. He never understood the legal device that we, that was used against him, but what remained of the millions went intact to Ella Kay. Okay. So then it says he was left with a singularly appropriate education. The vague contour of Jay Gatsby had filled out to the, the substantiality of a man. Okay. So what we learn here is that he lives with Dan Cody on this yacht for five years. And this is where he really becomes educated on the ways of wealthy people and on the ways of not just how to make money, right? It's not about making money. It's about being able to exist in a world of wealthy. And because Gatsby is poor in real life, um, he, he doesn't know that these secret codes. And at this point in the book, he has not met Daisy Buchanan. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Um, he told me all of this very much later, but I've put it down here with the idea of these with the idea of exploding those first wild rumors about his antecedents, which weren't even faintly true. Moreover, he told it to me at a time of confusion when I had reached a point of believing everything and nothing about him. So I took advantage of the short halt while Gatsby, so to speak, caught his breath to clear this set of misconceptions away. Okay. So you got to keep in mind that, Okay, so like the second part of Gatsby's history when he meets Daisy is going to be, we're going to get all of that a little bit later. We're going to fill in those blanks a little bit later. Okay, but that's the history of James Gatz up until he's about, um, I guess, like early 20s, okay? That's his backstory, is that he works with Dan Cody, and then Cody suddenly dies, and he's 
we're led to believe that Cody is taken advantage of and eventually killed by a woman who takes all the money. Okay. Then that's kind of part one is this bat, this random backstory that we get on Gatsby. So Nick tells us that, um, Gatsby tells Nick this much later. Cause remember like we're way past the summer of 1922 and Nick is now writing all this down in a recollection. So right here, he inserts this interesting backstory on Gatsby. That's part one of chapter six. Part two starts right here where it says, it was a halt too in my association with his affairs. For several weeks, I didn't see him or hear his voice on the phone. Mostly I was in New York trotting around with Jordan and trying to ingratiate myself with her, her senile aunt. But finally I went over to his house one Sunday afternoon. I hadn't been there two minutes when somebody brought Tom Buchanan in for a drink. I was startled naturally, but the, but the really surprising thing was that it haven't, hadn't happened before. There were a party of three on horseback, Tom and a man named Sloan, and a pretty woman in a brown riding habit who had been there previously. Okay. So, um, now, if, if you've read chapter six and you're listening to this to kind of figure out, um, you know, some details about it, I will say the, nothing like happens in the scene to move the plot forward, but we get a lot of these um, nuances. And what I mean by that is things happen below the surface of, of what is being said. And I know some of you are probably like, oh, you know, books, why do they do this? Like, why can't they just tell us what's happening? Well, this book is really a lot about social class. And social class, as we've talked about before, is a secret code of behaviors and privileges. And Gatsby is not a part of that world, despite the fact that he has all this money. That's not what gets you into the the upper tier of the wealthy. You have to know how to be wealthy. And this scene right here highlights how Gatsby does not know. And also it's interesting or not interesting, but like it's, it's also a valuable scene because we get this really awkward interaction between Tom and Gatsby. And remember like ultimately, yeah, a, a woman loves a, like Daisy loves Gatsby, but this isn't about Daisy, right? Eventually this is going to be about these two dudes because it's the year 1922 and she doesn't have a lot of choices and neither one of them, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's just, this is like setting up something that's going to happen later. We have to have these two interact. Okay. Let's, let's keep going. Um, Gatsby says, I'm delighted to see you said Gatsby in his porch. I'm delighted that you dropped in. And then Nick mentions as though they cared like, and what he means by that is like, Tom doesn't care about this guy. Uh, and, oh, I also want to point out, if you're confused on this, Tom does not know anything about his wife and Jay Gatsby. Okay. Um, so it says, sit, Gatsby says, sit right down, have a cigarette have, or a cigar. He walked around the room quickly, ringing bells. I'll have something to drink for you in just a minute. Um, and then it says, Gatsby says, Nick narrates, he, Gatsby, was profoundly affected by the fact that Tom was there. That everybody oh. is there. <laughs> That's Tatum. Okay. Go with Dad. All right. But he was somehow uneasy anyhow until he had given them something, realizing in a vague way that that was all they came for. Okay. So what, what this means is like, first of all, you have to be able to notice Gatsby's nervous energy. And he really wants to make sure they get a drink or an appetizer or a cigar or a cigarette because um, he wants to be a good host. And also, like, 
you know, you got to think about the power between these two guys. Like, who has more power? Well, Tom does. Even though Gatsby's lavishly wealthy, Tom's still got it. And he's trying to be at the same level with Tom, and he's going to try super hard. But we as the reader kind of know, like, whoa, he's falling majorly short. Okay. So Gatsby tries to make small talk, and they're kind of being rude. Um... It says, moved by an irresistible impulse, Gatsby turned to Tom, who had accepted the introduction as a stranger. I believe we've met somewhere before, Mr. Buchanan. Oh, yeah, said Tom, gruffly, polite, but obviously not remembering. So we did. Uh, I remember very well. About two weeks ago. That's right. You were with Nick here. I know your wife, continued Gatsby, almost aggressively. That's so. Tom turned to me. You live here, Nick? Next door. That's so. So obviously, like, Tom doesn't care. He's not suspicious. He's not inquisitive. He doesn't care. Okay. Um, and then it says, Mr. Sloan didn't enter into the conversation, but longed back haughtily in his chair. The woman said nothing either until unexpectedly after two highballs, she became cordial. Okay. So the woman is getting drunk and that's a little important for what happens next. Um, we'll all come over to your next party, Mr. Gatsby. She suggested, what do you say? Certainly, I'd be delighted to have you. Be very nice, said Mr. Sloan, without gratitude. Well, think we ought to be starting home. Please don't hurry, Gatsby urged. He had control of himself now, and he wanted to see more of Tom. Why don't you Why don't you stay for supper? I wouldn't be surprised if some other people dropped in from New York. You come to supper with me, said the lady enthusiastically. Both of you. This included me. Mr. Sloan got to his feet. Come along, he said, but only to her. I mean it, she insisted. I'd love to have you. Lots of room. Now, okay, here, pause for a sec. You as the reader understand that she's either not being authentic with this invitation or like she's drunk and she hasn't really planned on dinner and she doesn't really even know Gatsby and she's really not inviting them to dinner. But Gatsby misses this. Um, so it says Gatsby looked at me questioningly. He wanted to go and he didn't see that Mr. Sloan had determined he shouldn't. So again, there's this subtext of social cues that Gatsby is not picking up on because Fitzgerald wants to show us Gatsby is not a part of this world. Um, I'm afraid I won't be able to, I said. Well, you come, she urged, concentrating on Gatsby. Mr. Sloan murmured something close to her ear. We won't be late if we start now, she insisted loudly. I haven't got a horse, said Gatsby. I used to ride in the army, but I've never bought a horse. I'll have to follow you in my car. Excuse me for just a minute. The rest of us walked out on the porch where Sloan and the lady began an impassioned conversation. Aside, my God, I believe the man's coming, said Tom. Doesn't he know she doesn't want him? So Tom, of course, calls Gatsby out on the fact that, like, why is he, why is he he's actually driving? What an idiot. She's not really inviting him. She says she does want him. She has a big dinner party, and he won't know a soul there, he frowned. I wonder where in the devil he met Daisy. By God, I may be old-fashioned in my ideas, but women run around too much these days to suit me. They meet all kinds of crazy fish. Suddenly, Mr. Sloan and the lady walked down the steps and mounted their horses. Come on, said Mr. Sloan to Tom. We're late. We gotta go. And then to me. Tell him we couldn't wait, will you? All right, I'm going to pause here for a sec. The other thing that you want to notice is like, and, and Nick will say this again and again, but like Gatsby in, is flawed for sure. And he's got a lot of issues, but he is extremely congenial at times. 
And he's a very gracious host, or he tries to be, right? He serves these people a drink. You know, he gets them whatever they want. And then he thinks he's being invited to dinner because that's what she said. And they just ditch him. And they're very rude about it. And um, Nick, who's a decent person, and the reader, arguably, also, like, we understand this. That's just rude. Tom, then I'm going to go back to reading. Okay. Tom and I shook hands, and the rest of us exchanged a cool nod, and they trotted quickly down the drive, disappearing under the August foliage, just, just as Gatsby, with hat and light overcoat in hand, came out the front door. So then Nick now has to tell him, like, hey, you know, they they didn't really invite you. I want to pause here for a second because this moment of what we can imagine is like embarrassment for Gatsby or disappointment is like a really human moment, even though Fitzgerald's not going to expand on it right now. And you kind of want to think about like, if you've you've experienced this in your life or if a friend of yours or maybe a sibling of yours, whoa, sorry guys. Um, a sibling of yours has experienced this where you desperately want to be accepted by a group of people and you are going to try really, really hard to be accepted by the group of people. But the group of people kind of know that like, they're not going to accept you because you're just not like them. And these things in school usually concentrate on very uh, petty characteristics, maybe how people look or how people dress or how much money people have. Um, And a lot of times we see this in middle school, but there's no doubt that it certainly extends to high school. And maybe you as an individual went through this phase, but Gatsby's going through this very human thing of he desperately wants to be accepted the reality of it is, and we see this as the reader, but he can't see this. No matter how hard he tries, he will never be accepted by these people because those are the unwritten rules of the wealthy or what we would call in our day and age, like the 1%. Um, and you may say, no, that's not true. If you make all this money, you can. Um, but I'm not quite sure about that. You know, this book is popular and we're reading it a hundred years after it was published because it transcends time and space. And I do think that social class is something that you can work for all your life, but there are certain rules and codes that the wealthy know and that the non-wealthy don't know. And even if that has not been the struggle for you, I do think this moment is important because it really illuminates that Gatsby is trying to get into a universe that for like everything on the surface tells us that he should be allowed to be friends with these people. And yet he doesn't really have any friends, which is really sad. He seems like a decent guy. Um, but there are secrets about him. Okay. Uh, we're all, we're, we're pretty much, you know, we're past our 20 minute mark. That's the first part of chapter six. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'm going to be posting a second episode on Wednesday night for part two of chapter six. And uh, that's it. Okay. Thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you on Monday. I mean Wednesday.